So this is Kaiju Transmissions, and this is Bird, and with me is my co-host, Matt. Hello. And with us is a guest. You've heard him before. His name is Chris, and he uh, has been with us before, and he also made that cool music that plays us in every time. He's a cool dude. Uh, Christopher, say hello. Say hello to the people. Hello to the people. And if we sound a little bit deflated, well, it could actually be for multiple reasons. One, uh, we are 49 minutes delayed at, at this point due to multiple, well, just a mixture of our own incompetence and technical problems. And All right, Bert, this is, this is, let's not make this plural. This is your incompetence. It's 49 minutes and two beers. Why are you guys bringing up? Why are you guys bringing up old stuff, man? <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, well, well, look. The good news is the updates it wanted me to install are updated. We're we're running uh, just fine, and uh, I I I understand at the beginning I was sounding strange on Skype, but I should be okay. Maybe it has to do with the fact that I'm skyping from the fifth floor of a Grand Rapids hotel room. Uh, so, I don't know. I, I, I should sound okay, though. Um, and, uh, the other reason you may be getting some, uh, deflation in, in our voices is because, uh, this was a last-minute thrown-together thing because, I guess, yesterday... Wait, what day is it? Yes, wait, was it today or Yesterday. It was the seventh, which means it's yesterday over in Japan, but it's still today here. Uh, We woke up to the unfortunate news that Haro Nakajima, who had played Godzilla from 1954 through 1972 with Godzilla vs. Gigan, has passed away at the age of 88. Um, And I know it's something that has been on kind of people's minds lately as um he had to cancel a convention appearance recently and then at the days of the dead show that matt the one that you were at as a matter of fact um he you know was particularly kind of frail and um so uh i guess that's what we're going to talk about. Talk about uh, Haruo Nakajima and his life and his career and what he means to all of us kaiju fans worldwide. Um, and uh, I suppose there's probably a lot to talk about because he, at least for me anyway, he, he is Godzilla. Um, that's not to put down the other suit actors, but uh, I mean, he played the character for so long and it's his movies are the ones that impacted me first so um you know to me he he's my godzilla Uh, so i guess we will uh go from there i mean when you guys heard the news what exactly was going through your heads uh several expletives um (laughs) i don't (laughs) man i i woke up and uh i had read about halfway down we have an ongoing Facebook thread with all of our, you know, friends or whatever. And I read like literally a statement that said, when Matt gets up, he's going to be pissed. 
and then I knew instantly what happened for some reason. And then I sort of read up the chain and I realized that he had passed away. And I was like, oh, God. And this has been uh, – I've had a, a couple personal issues this week that had also kind of sucked. So it's been a deflating week for me anyway. It's already – it's then, only Monday. I, dude, well, last week was terrible. <laughs> okay. And, uh, yeah, so, like, today was just – I mean, I don't even think it's honestly hit me yet, to, to be honest with you. Um, but, yeah, it just, like – ugh sucks i mean what, what else can you say it just it just sucks right and, and i feel so bad for sanoe um his daughter who you know she's basically lived her life to, to take care of him and if you've ever met her she is the sweetest kindest person you can imagine uh, i I've, I've met her a couple of times had breakfast with um both nakajima and her at days of the dead and um, she, she's wonderful. So I just, I can't imagine, you know, losing your father and, and losing an icon, but, but losing your father, I mean, first and foremost, what, what she must be going through, especially for her. And, uh, and she just lost her mother, I think back in January and, um, uh, Kuniko and, and, you know, it's just back to back losses within a year. I mean, so, so close together, like that's just gotta be devastating. Um, so today sucks. I mean, that's just kind of what it is. It sucks for everybody. It sucks as a fan, but it, it's really got to be tough on her. And uh, I just, I, I wish her the best, honestly. I always hear that it's kind of common for older folks, you know, when the spouse dies, the other one isn't too far behind. That's exactly what happened to my grandparents. It was my grandmother, and then maybe not even a year later, my, my grandfather is. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I can see that, especially if, you know, I mean, people that stick together for, you know, 50, 60 years or so and such. Um, Chris, uh, you've been hey. you've been quiet. Uh, how did well, he's been talking? So I'm not going to interrupt him. <laughs> oh, see, usually on our show, that doesn't make much of a difference. Uh, <laughs> well, one of us has manners, bird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so please. Yeah. I, I mean, when. When you when you saw this in the morning, what exactly was your reaction? I mean, over the last of the, the over the last few years, I say few is in you know, last five to seven years. You know, I, I've gotten to see you know now three people that I've really looked up to in life: um, Ray Harryhausen, uh, David Bowie, and now Haruo Nakajima, all passing away. And you realize at a certain age, you know. These people that you looked up to as a child, you know, they they go and then you're forced to face the fact that in their absence, these people that you looked up to growing up, you see that there there has been nothing that has filled that absence. So you see the impact that each each of these individuals has had on your life and countless others. And it forced you to take a step back and look at uh, the say, you know, uh, Nakajima passed away at, at age 88, which is a damn good run. Um, not everyone gets that lucky. But you look at how many people he was able to influence over that time, and you just think, like, wow, going into this role, you know, starting out at, at how, however old he was, to think if someone were to tell you, by the way, you're going to influence the shape of cinema across the world in some capacity and leave a lasting impact on on a countless amount of people, you know, they would laugh in their they would laugh in the person's face but now having passed away at 88 and you realize like wow this guy is known for being the man in the monster suit and in doing so and going through this living hell we all have 
wanted to thank him in some way. And those of us who've been lucky to meet him at one point or other did our best to do so in that moment. But the reality is he's a real person with a real family. And, you know, we, we can grieve them, grieve him as a fan. But as Matt said, you know, it's the people who knew him best are the ones who are going through the hardest time right now. So whereas all of we can we can talk about all of his accomplishments uh, in the genre, it's really, you know, he's a real human being who, who nearly killed himself for his job. And that job ended up inadvertently influencing all of us in some way and touching us in some way that we're talking about it, you know, 1954 and it's 2017. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, my reaction was sim- pretty much exactly the same as you guys. And, uh, I- I'm going to say exactly what I said, not only to you guys earlier, but, uh, when Ray Harryhausen passed away, uh, cause he was also into his nineties. Um, and I mean, Nakajima was 88, he was coming up on 90. And when Harryhausen passed away, I said, you know, when you have someone that you look up to this much, and they're that old, uh, you always kind of dread waking up and, and hearing that they're no longer with us. And uh, firsthand, I can tell you, as someone who was raised a lot by my own grandparents, and, you know, as they get older, seeing their quality of life decline and seeing, you know, how my mom and, you know, me and my brother would have to do things to take care of them, and, you know, then they're in wheelchairs, and then they have trouble talking, and then... I mean, at that point, you're really like, oh, wow, they're not going to be here very much longer. And you always dread getting that phone call from your mom or someone in your family. And, you know, it's it's similar here. And I'm sure that's also what his family went through, you know, knowing that his quality of life was declining and he was getting sick. And, you know, the, the, and that dread that hangs over you when you have a loved one who... Uh, is that old is really um it's real and you know i'm sure it's something that you know his daughter and people and his family and his loved ones have been feeling probably for the last few years Uh, and it's a very real fear you know and uh again um first and foremost you know our uh, condolences to his family uh and i mean the best thing we can do is celebrate um his work and what it means to us and talk about who he was and uh one thing i hate uh is when someone famous dies and someone i i understand it's how some people cope and and stuff but they just talk on and on and on about the first time I met this person, they were this. And, you know, they, they make it a very, you know, back padding kind of thing. And, and so, I mean, I do want to get into maybe our own personal stories about Nakajima, but I feel like maybe we should save it for last and maybe kind of go through it quick. Because I, I hate when people kind of take someone's death and make it all about them. You know, it just bothers me. And I know a lot of people don't do it on purpose. Um, but, you know, I, I would rather talk about his work, um, which is what we're going to do. Uh, and also, before we get started, I want to preface this by saying, uh, for the listeners, if you see Chris's name in the little uh, paragraph description of the episode, don't panic, because I promise he will continue to be on the podcast for uh, non-death-related episodes. <laughs> 
Yeah, for those who don't understand that, he was also on the uh, the Bono episode. <laughs> yes, our, the our tribute that we're Bono trying to, and the poli- the politics of Sheen Godzilla recorded the night after Trump was elected. <laughs> yeah, that was oh, our... <laughs> oh man, why? That, that why? was our. That was our. You know what? I'm uh, second thought, Chris. We are uninviting you from all that, episodes. That was our Amer- That was our American God presidency. Damn it, guys. Uh, R.I.P. episode. So, uh, without R. further R.I.P. America episode. That was yeah. the- <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, without further ado, let's let's talk about uh, Mr. Haruo Nakajima. Um, I mean, where do where do we start, really? Um, I mean, at the beginning, can, perhaps. Well, yes, at his birth in 1929. Uh, not much is known, at least uh, from. You know, I mean, we, we, like I said, we just got together at the last minute, so we didn't, like, do deep, deep research on his, his life. But uh, um, we do know that he was born in 1929 and uh, in uh, Yamagata, Japan. Um, and uh, from what I'm looking at, which is a uh, <laughs> uh, an uh, illustrated comic strip bio uh, by... Who's this by? <laughs> Even the Wikipedia link just says biography of Haruo Nakajima in comic book format. Uh, anyway, it's I closed from... the tab already. I'm sorry. Ansys Perrins is the Tumblr. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, my point is, according to that, uh, when he was young, he made money diving for seaweed after school, and at 14. He entered the Imperial Navy as a pilot, and after the war is when he got hired as a stuntman. Um, I actually have a little bit more information. He w- he flew a training plane during World War II. Ooh, okay. And uh, yeah, he had trained to become a pilot at the naval base in Nada when he was 14. Um, after the war, uh, he drove a truck for the American military. Uh, he clarified that it was a GM truck, and he transported supplies and equipment between... Um, Yokohama port and uh, an American base uh, nearby. And that was from uh, an interview in 1995. Okay. And so from there, uh, do you guys um, have anything saying on how he first got hired in as a stuntman slash actor? Because we definitely know he got his start just as a stuntman. I do not. Okay. Uh, there's definitely the earliest, some gaps. Yeah, the earliest app is 52. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some gaps in the bio here. Um, uh, but, so, 52, he has credits for Sword for Hire and The Woman Who Touched the Legs. That's a interesting title. Um, Very direct title, actually. <laughs> <Bert>. <laughs> uh, according to IMDB, he has a credit as a man in a bar fight in the movie Stray Dog, the Kurosawa movie. Uh, and I guess the scenes he's in are are deleted, or I do know that Stray Dog, um, the current cut, is missing quite a bit of footage uh, that apparently was destroyed. Um, but uh, I guess his first real relevant cred- uh, credit is um, Eagle of the Pacific, uh, where he is credited as Zero Fighter in Flames, and that would make this... Um, uh, the first time he worked on an Ashiro Honda set, um, and uh, I mean, Matt, do you want to? Did you have anything you want? I know you mentioned Eagle of the Pacific uh, before we started recording. Is there anything you want to talk about there? 
Yeah, so I, this was made in 53, and he was essentially a pilot that uh, was caught on, he caught on fire during the scene. And because of this specific scene, Subaraya remembered him. And this is kind of why Subaraya pushed for him to get the role in Godzilla, because it, it really showed his zeal and his, his tenacity. Um, so that is why later on, the next year, um, he actually, after his role in Sam, uh, Seven Samurai as a bandit, they came back to him for his, uh, his work on Godzilla. Yeah, okay. I think it was in Eel, Eel of the Pacific. Um, he believes that Honda suggested he be offered the role after working with him on Eel of the Pacific. He, he suggested to Subaraya, who suggested to the head Toho's acting division, who gave Nakajima the actual offer. This was his theory on how it all played out. Yep, it was kind of a weird like backdoor thing. Um, um, well, his 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 credit in Seven Samurai as a bandit, uh, he has been asked about that role many times over the years. Um, most recently, I mean, even uh, there's a great documentary on Toshiro Mifune on uh, Netflix right now, and um, he talks about it there. Uh, but um, Kurosawa really. Um, Kurosawa wasn't very open to, I guess, other people's ideas. So um, Nakajima had always said that, you know, if even uh, even for someone like him who's just playing a, an ex, uh, more or less an, a glorified extra who um, doesn't have any real dialogue, um, but you know, if if you fell the wrong way or something like that, you know, he would he would have complete command of the set to where he if if an extra or anyone was doing something in a way that he didn't like, he'd have them do it over and over and over. Um and uh from what I understand he also um Kurosawa that is uh the people that worked on his sets he really didn't like very much for them to go and do other things um and not, the nakajima was another one that he kind of tried to hang on to um but uh yes we we should not delay any longer and get into the 1954 godzilla because this Be- is actually a- before you do that i do have a, a really funny quote from uh nakajima about kurosawa he described working under kurosawa uh as being torturous <laughs> at times because of that because of that yeah. he wouldn't uh, be the first one <laughs> or last. like yeah i mean because he was you know he's framing he basically said he would frame every specific shot in a extremely um i don't know just very specific way and he just that was the, the polar opposite of both honda and subaraya subaraya trusted nakajima to kind of do what he wanted and uh, Kurosawa did, did not. He wanted yeah. to have total control. Well, so Ishiro Honda was a notoriously relaxed and accepting to hear other people's input and stuff. But yeah, that that was not Kurosawa, which maybe is why those two Honda and Kurosawa worked so well together. I I would I would think maybe I know. Yeah, they kind of balance each other out. Um, well, there was one quote I found from Nakajima. Actually, it was attributed during Godzilla's Revenge. I think as Honda was directing. Um, the special effects footage, but he, he described Honda as giving uh, those who he worked with, with as much freedom as he could. Um, yep. That's so. That's yeah, I guess he would just kind of give whatever control to whoever was doing the job and trust them to do it to their fullest extent, and if need be, step step in. As opposed to Kurosawa, whose approach is, "This is my film. This is the frame that I'm choosing." 
you are all in it. Just, just you know, if you look at Kurosawa's films, it's pretty obvious there's one guy commanding a lot of what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Bert, back to uh, 54, sorry. I didn't mean oh, no, I, I was just saying, I mean, at this point, I mean, he got the job for Godzilla 54, and that's really where... That's the real beginning of what we're talking about here. Um, so, I mean, where do you start with Godzilla 54 is the question, you know. As far as Nakajima is concerned, um, I know that it's the only Godzilla suit that was built the way that it was um, because it was so heavy. Um, something like, I mean, geez, in the 200-pound range... Um, yeah, it was 100 kilograms. It was insane. Yeah, and and uh, you know it was made with uh, Chris. Was it bamboo? It was bamboo framed. I know it wasn't made with bamboo overall, but at least some of the frame was built with bamboo. Yeah, and um, they all, they also used some sort of concrete for for support inside. I can't imagine a suit being made with concrete. You know how I mean? Like, I just can't even wrap my mind around that because obviously they didn't have. After the war, they, they didn't have a lot of... They had basically no rubber in Japan. Uh, I just told it up, by the way. 100 kilograms is 220 pounds. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he was in his 20s. Um, so, geez, I mean, think of what you have to endure for a job like that. Uh, and he's often told this uh, story that when he, he put the suit on, you know, and tried to move for the first time, he just fell just like my mic right there. Uh, he, just, <laughs> he, he just fell flat on his face. Um, so after that, the suits were, were made differently. They were made with more mobility, um, you know, uh, weren't as heavy, although, I mean, they're still heavy as hell. And then, Think of all the under all the, all the water scenes that he had to do in those, and I mean those things just soak up water. And he even said, I mean, yeah, if you uh, if you're if you can't get out of the you know if you're doing an underwater scene, you can't get out. You're you're gonna drown. Um, so I mean, he he had stories like that where you know it's, <laughs> you're really wondering, uh, you know, that that could be like when you die you know i i mean he's done a lot of things that are really dangerous you know i i always say he's like the jackie chan of of monster suit acting um i don't know if any suit actor has done as much crazy stuff as him but um anyway we'll, we'll get into some of that i mean with the 54 godzilla um he was the first person to bring godzilla to life and weren't there two actors actually uh to to be fair, wasn't there uh, was Tezuka the second actor? Um, yeah, Kasumi, yeah. Kasumi Tezuka was the other actor, but he he basically uh, Nakajima said, you know, Tezuka could walk like ten feet, Nakajima could walk thirty. So they eventually started just relying mostly on Nakajima to do the majority of the filming. Well, yeah, the reason I sorry, um, the, go on, sorry. IMDb in particular, has three actors listed. Yeah, there's a third one as well. Jiro Suzuki is the the third one. Um, Do we... But, Matt, uh, what what you were saying about how Nakajima could walk the furthest in the suit, um, do you think that's probably why they kept him for the sequels? Yeah, basically, Nakajima just said, like, he was the most reliable in later interviews. Um, 
and, and that's essentially why he was chosen. They eventually let the scene where Godzilla destroys the uh, the Diet Building was originally done by uh, Tezuka, and in, in um, I think they went in and re- if I'm not mistaken, they had to redo it, and they redid it with Nakajima. <laughs> so, it, uh, I, I believe that's what I read in Guy Tucker's book. I could be misattributing that but um well i know i know tezuka would work on you know he he would keep working on on these movies like um uh, yeah he played Anguirus yeah yeah he played Anguirus. um he also played godzilla and king kong versus godzilla as well um him and nakajima were inside of the giant mothra larva and mothra so um he kept doing suit work um he was considered the boss, actually. Like, he was technically, at this point, he was uh, Nakajima's superior. And I have a really cool quote about that um, from the next film, which we'll get to after 54. But yeah, he was. Tezuka was originally supposed to be the higher up and supposed to get the role of Godzilla, but um, Nakajima was better with the suit because of the weight. Um, and we, we know they had to make a second suit because the first suit was essentially unusable, so they ended up cutting the suit in half and just using the bottom half for some of the scenes where Godzilla is only walking through the city and you only see his scene from like the waist down and he's trampling stuff. Yeah. There, there's some very famous behind the scenes photos of Nakajima pretty much wearing the legs and stomping around. I actually have a pin of that. That's pretty sweet. There's an yeah, action I, figure of that as well. I think. That's I have. That's the one I have uh, have signed. It's the M1 Nakajima f- figure. Yeah, the so, half the half suit that guy. Yeah. So yeah, those are very famous behind the scenes uh, images that you can check out. But um, uh, I mean, I, I I'm not sure if there's much more to say about 54 because so much of the mannerisms that you think of the Showa Godzilla come from the sequels. Um, but. Uh, I mean, yeah, should we keep going or anything you want to say about his performance in 54 that we might have left out? The only thing that I would really have to say is that um, uh, I know Subaraya showed him King Kong and Mighty Joe Young for preparation. This is true. And he also uh, studied animals at the zoo. Uh, I mean, the guy did his homework. For a guy, you're, I mean, you get a job, okay, you're going to be in a rubber dinosaur suit. I mean, how how many people would take it that seriously that, you know, they're going to the zoo <laughs> and studying different animals and taking all these notes? And, uh, and yeah, no, I mean, we, you can't, again, uh, you know, I always say you can't underestimate the the um the impact that guys like O'Brien and Harryhausen had on on the, the Japanese um shores and yeah i mean Subaraya indeed let him look at his prince of king kong and mighty joe young to kind of look at how you know a, a animal on a rampage would act and yeah no chris that's a very relevant thing i think to to bring up because i think you know sometimes people don't see the the influence there um, I think it's just that, and also the fact that you know he he before this, if you if you, we talked about his roles, he was doing bit parts and stunt work, and the fact that he was able to make himself indispensable even in this first movie, and the fact that he took his craft as the the actor in the suit as an actor in 1954, you think what uh, what other men in monster suits were there, and even still. How many were there that actually took it that seriously to treat it like an acting gig and to put their life on the line? So all of the elements to what we know about Nakajima are already there all in that first movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
like he, him and well actually coincidentally also 1954 in the US was Creature from the Black Lagoon another movie where the suit actors really upped their game to be like okay I'm I'm playing this character you know I'm not just a monster and a guy in a monster suit I'm playing this actual character um so from there, I mean, we're not going to go in depth for every role, but I mean, uh, some relevant things. Uh, Toho's Invisible Man, um, he has the interesting, on IMDb, he's credited as Invisible Man Who Is Run Over. So I, I, <laughs> I, I haven't seen the movie just because it hasn't been subtitled, at least to my knowledge, but apparently there's an Invisible Man Who Gets Run Over. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, 1955, right away, of course, Godzilla was huge, and they wanted to do a sequel as Godzilla Raids Again. And like I said, this is um, a, a lighter suit. Uh, it's not as bulky. Um, and uh, because of that, he can also fight another monster, which is Anguirus or Anguilus. I, I still go with that old-school American Anguilus uh, pronunciation, uh, where he was played, again, by uh, Tezuka. And, um, uh, well, Matt, I know there's a particular story or quote you want to share about um, Godzilla's <clears throat> battle with uh, Anguilus here? Yeah, there's a couple things. Um, so, one, um, the, the first thing is that in, in Guy Tucker's book, he actually comments that um, Nakajima says the old man, which is his nickname for Subaraya. Uh, Subaraya would actually draw pretty specific storyboards for their fight scenes between Godzilla and Anguirus, but um, and and they would practice without suits. But a lot of times, the first time they would actually go through the storyboards was, was during the shoot itself. So, um, so because of that, during his fight with uh, Tezuka, who was playing Anguirus. Um, Tezuka would basically have to his quote is Tezuka would have to obey my choreography so I thought now is my chance to beat the boss so when they filmed Anguirus death at Osaka Castle he said I threw Anguirus into the moat and he swallowed a hell of a lot of water I wondered if he got drunk on it and that kind of like captures so much of the spirit of Nakajima in my opinion because he's so competitive if you ever met him or you see his interviews he, he has this like feistiness about him and um, the the fact that he's like trying to overthrow the, the number one guy and then becomes the number one guy later on, and he's so um, sort of possessive of Godzilla, you know, and like it's really funny too to think that he never trained or like showed the other Godzilla suit actors how to be Godzilla. He just was Godzilla, like that. That's just his personality. And I thought that was a pretty uh, funny quote, actually, to think like, hey, he swallowed a hell of a lot of water, and I wondered if he got drunk on it. Like, that's <laughs> kind of like a really funny, almost like douchey quote, but like, if, if you know him, he, he was probably saying it in either jest or kind of laughing about it when he did it, because obviously they were working together on this stuff. And that scene in particular, that fight is actually very brutal. Like, the whole... They, they also screwed up. That's the movie where they screwed up the cameras, and they didn't have time to go back and reshoot it because it would have cost too much money. So the, the movie has um, the fights that are, that yeah, are sped, like up. sped up. It looks like a Benny Hill or something. Like. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, uh, it's he's also been said that um, the scene where he's buried under ice, he crashed through the studio floor. Um, Wasn't there someone yeah. underneath him as well? Yeah, it was the guy that was out. It was uh, Izu Kamai who um, actually operates the eye in the the eyes in the mouth with two other wires, and they were using real ice. So the, the ice was so heavy 
when they were burying him during that scene like it, it, there's two floors there's like the the studio floor that the the movie was being shot on and the floor underneath where the guy was being hit with the wires and the the first floor collapsed and it buried both nakajima and uh, izu kamai so that would have been he said they, that neither of them were hurt but like could you imagine like you're both buried in just real ice like that's that's got to be like five feet of ice yeah it's freezing <laughs> so so far two movies in he's almost died how many times <laughs> right. i wish there was a counter for how yeah. many times he legit put his life on the line for a job well, we that was we haven't like, even yeah. oh my god you hence know. the jackie chan comparison uh well his next kaiju credit is for rodan and that's another one where <laughs> i know we were talking a, earlier matt had a story yeah. that he was very excited to tell about Nakajima well, I, on the I think, set of Rodan. Do you, know this, do you know the story, um, Chris? Do you know the story? You can tell it if you know it. I mean, I know the gist of it, that uh, he was uh, suspended on wires. One wire broke, and he started spinning around all willy-nilly. And then uh, another wire broke, and he fell and landed in the water. And had there not been water, he would have died. Uh, yeah, the, so, the, the water ahead. was like only a foot and a half deep, but it absorbed. He says in the in the interview, it's actually um, – he tells the story twice. One's actually on Sci-Fi Japan. One is uh, in one of the interviews that we found with Guy Tucker. But um, he says basically that water saved his life. I mean, could you imagine falling 25 feet in a giant, you know, essentially pterodactyl, co- you know, costume? So when, that he, weighed the- <laughs> so when he's supposed to be in the water, he's almost drowning and dying. And when he's not supposed to be in the water, he's crashing into it and being saved oh. by it. Yeah, <laughs> and when he's on on land, he's getting shot at by small rockets. Uh, that is like, correct. And I, so you're also, saying is this job's a lot of laughs. <laughs> he also has a credit as a, one of the Meganulon bugs in Rodan as well. Um, going from there, uh, we have the Mysterians, which um, allegedly there is some very rare. What is it? Sixteen millimeter footage or something? I, I, think, I thought it was eight millimeter. It might yeah. be eight millimeter, but. Uh, apparently, I don't know, Toho are being Toho about it, and uh, it's not something that we can see. But uh, he played Mogera. Um, and then uh, now here's another one where we have a little bit of a behind-the-scenes story, and that's Varan, the Unbelievable, in which he played the title creature. I believe it. Um, yeah, <laughs> I believe it, too. <laughs> um, and this is where... Uh, so during the end of the movie that's when um they are you know trying to get these rockets in his mouth that'll you know he'll he'll go to the ocean and it'll blow up and it'll kill him uh and there's a scene where i guess some pyrotechnics went off around his crotch area and i guess it injured his stomach but i i, I suppose i suppose the the press kind of warped that into it being he he burnt his genitals I don't know. I know. I know. And he he was always very quick to cor- make a correction when talking about that incident. Um, do you guys have any more insight into what exactly happened? Since uh, it seems as though it's kind of become uh, gone into lore now, where it's it's not. It it almost seems like an exaggeration of what actually happened. The only interview that I've seen where he talks about it is like from 95 and it was a, a truck. It was a truck scene that uh, explodes and it, it burned his stomach pretty badly. And that was the only time that, that Nakajima says he was actively injured. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times when, when the people have asked him later on if he was ever hurt, he basically says no. 
So this was the only time he admitted injury, and he says it was pretty bad. Um, and he says it was his stomach, and he makes he doesn't ever say anything about it being lower than that. So I'm gonna take him at his word because that, and that was also I mean we if you've ever I mean hate to say this but like if you've ever watched some of his later interviews his his answers seem a little incongruent I guess is the best way I could describe them they don't seem to line up with what he says earlier and as you know sometimes we get older we don't always remember things um I guess it's a very long time ago also yeah I mean I forget stuff yesterday right so yeah um, this is is, who the hell are you guys this is 1958 I I mean yeah so I mean like you know um but the interview in 95 he says specifically it was uh it was a truck that hurt, basically exploded in the, the flames when it went to his stomach. And that's the best account that I think I've, I've seen anywhere. Yeah. It's always like been I said, said it, kind it, of it, shorthand either way. Yeah, yeah, that too. Um, so, yeah, we're only a few rolls in and he's already... <laughs> like fallen to his death almost, <laughs> blown up and burnt, <laughs> nearly drowned. drowned. Walking uh, in a concrete suit. <laughs> um, a few, a few credits. Uh, well, a lot of credits, but uh, a few of the relevant ones. After that, um, the H Man, where he's credited as being one of the H Men. He's also one of the 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 sailors that gets dissolved by one of the blobs. Um, Hidden Fortress, the Kurosawa film, Secret of the Telegian, which is uh, another Toho mutant movie, uh, The Human Vapor, where I suppose he uh, he's credited as playing a partially vapor vaporized um, uh, Yoshio Tsuchiya, who plays the Human Vapor. Uh, Transitional Vapor Man is the credit, and if you've seen the movie, there is like a kind of a puppet looking thing that you see when he's transforming. So I, I'm not exactly sure what the extent of Nakajima's involvement is there. Um, and Yojimbo, a classic Kurosawa movie. And then uh, one I want to mention is Mothra, um, where, like I said, uh, Tezuka and Nakajima and some of the other stunt guys were inside the gigantic Mothra larva. And if you... there, There's, uh, some, uh, there's a pretty famous behind-the-scenes photo of... Uh, Subaraya standing next to this big Mothra. And as far as I know, this is the only time there have actually been people inside Mothra and operating her. Um, is that, I, that's, that's true, right? I don't think... Yeah, that's Mar- the only yeah, time I've yeah. ever... Other than other that, Mothra's been just small. been, yeah, a, a smaller, like, prop. Um... But then is this we the go... one where he compared it. Oh, sorry. Is oh, no, this one no, he compared no. it to being in the military? Was it this or the Megan? Yeah, Neal? yeah. It was. It was that one. Okay. We're just is... basically being told right, left, right, left, go left, go right. Yeah, because he was in the very front, so he was kind of leading everyone. Um, uh, and then you know bit parts and stuff like the Last War. One I really want to talk about here, though, because it's one of my favorites, is King Kong versus Godzilla. Um, and one thing that uh, is worth mentioning here is that for a lot of these movies, um, Nakajima was the choreographer for the actual monster fights. And um, this movie and War of the Gargantuas are two that I watch, and I'm just kind of in utter disbelief of what these guys and mon- these monster suit actors are doing to each other. The, the fight between King Kong and Godzilla in this movie is so physical, it's so intense, and, uh, um, like, uh, Nakajima and, um, 
the actor who played King Kong, Shuichi Hirose. Chris, you can tell me if I'm saying that right. I mean, what these two guys are doing in this movie is incredible. And these guys are in the suits as they're being, like, flung around and uh, and just being suspended in midair. And it's wild. Um, and uh, I believe this is also the one where... Nakajima w- was knocked out while he was wearing the suit, correct? I do not know. I know that he's in the suit where in the suit when uh King Kong like flips him over judo style. <laughs> like, yeah. I well I'd heard that he actually lost consciousness at one point. Um but I mean if if you want to really see what these guys did in these 100 200 pound monster suits that are geez i mean how has he ever i know he's answered the question i i don't know the figure or anything offhand but how hot was it on average in these monster suits it was hot i mean they sweat like a they were sweating like literally a cup of of sweat at times in the Uh, suit just after being in there (laughs) <laughs> and to add to that, think about it. So back in the day, film stock was much slower, so you needed a lot more light to expose it. So when you look at any behind-the-scenes photo of movies that were shot in the 50s, 60s, whatever, um, you see the lights are enormous, and there's a lot of them. On top of that, if they're shooting in high speed to make things seem slower, you need even more light to expose the film. So you're in a confined space with a ton of lights, Inside of a monster suit, everybody's smoking cigarettes, and you're blowing things up <laughs> indoors that shouldn't be blown up indoors, inhaling all sorts of fumes, and there's probably fire everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even comprehend doing one-tenth of the work that, that these guys are doing. Yeah. It's beyond me. That, those, that set, I think... They were talking about, like, on the Mysterian set, for example. I think they were saying, like, at one point it got up to, like, 120 degrees, like, Fahrenheit in there. Remember, do you remember the panel? Yeah, that was for uh, the Mysterians. It was 120 degrees, and, like, people's shoes were, like, melting to the floor (laughs) and stuff. (laughs) Because their light, I mean, the amount of lights that they had to have for that film was insane. And and he was, I mean, he was walking around in in a costume, you know, he was... He had the Mogera suit on for that, so it's just insane. Um, Unlike every other role he's played, which was not completely insane. <laughs> it's just... Um, Matt, uh, apparently that scene, that part where you talked about where he throws Godzilla over his shoulder, that was uh, Hirose's way of proving he was uh, stronger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... Th- one of the things we haven't touched on is the fact that, you know, Subaraya essentially let them kind of do their own thing up to a certain point. Like he, he, there, there's a quote, um, it, from several of Nakajima's interviews and he kind of reiterates it uh, throughout his, his, uh, career, but he basically talks about how, you know, one of the reasons, a couple of reasons that, that, uh, Subaraya liked him was one, he would always, um, continue acting five or six seconds after, Subarai would yell cut and Subarai really admired his tenacity for that and then the other thing was he just gave him Subarai trusted him and one of the things that Subarai told him after um you know for basically during I think Godzilla 54 was like listen 
good, but this is your job. I'm the cameraman. So you just figure it out. And so Nakajima took it upon himself to figure out how to make these scenes work. And from that point on, he just essentially figured out a lot of the choreography himself. And he worked with the other, you know, suit actors. So you're seeing them doing, they have a kind of a loose script, but a lot of improv, right? I mean, that's kind of what he's saying. So like they're just beating the crap out of each other in real time, like that. Like that's oh, what actually, they're doing. Not even in real time. They have to move faster so the yeah, movement, oh, that's, movement yeah, register I mean, is correct. Yeah, that's correct. Because they're 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 moving at basically three times the speed. There was another quote too that he had that was pretty interesting, where somebody asked him, you know, what what was the most difficult thing about suit acting? He says, well, I don't really consider it difficult, but if I had to answer that, he said that just getting the timing down because you had to do every every movement at three times normal speed because of the overcrank cameras. Yeah. So I mean that that's that's <laughs> insane to think about. Everything you see on screen that happens incredibly fast, they're doing three times faster than that when they're actually doing it because of, of the of the crank cameras. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean just look up the King Kong versus Godzilla fight or next time you watch the movie, be attentive to the physicality of that fight. And because of that it's still one of my favorite kaiju movies. I just I love it. Um uh, again, um, bit parts and background roles, uh, but as far as Tokusatsu goes, uh, he was one of the mushroom people in Matango. The movie's uh, awesome. If yeah, you have not seen a that. favorite of, I think, everyone who's ever <laughs> set a peep on this podcast loves this movie. Um, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, now, 1964, we have Mothra versus Godzilla, and this is commonly... Uh, well. I will say about uh, King Kong versus Godzilla is Nakajima's performance. He this is where you really see him start to get creative with Godzilla's mannerisms. So Godzilla in that movie does that weird clapping thing. Um, <laughs> uh, and now Mothra versus Godzilla is the one that a lot of people credit as being you know this is where Nakajima was really this is where he brought Godzilla to life, and like this is where his Godzilla really starts. Um, and this is where you start to see a lot of the mannerisms that you'll keep seeing. And, uh, again, you'll see that evolve over the next few, uh, Godzilla movies. Um, but, uh, I think important to mention here is that, uh, this is where, um, this has happened in a few Godzilla movies, but I, I think it's the only time it's happened with Nakajima where the Godzilla suit caught fire and it was cool, so they left it in the movie. Um... That happens in the middle of the movie when Godzilla is battling with uh, with the military. Um, and sure uh, that it's cool to us, but he's actually just walking there completely calm while the suit is on fire. <laughs> Do you Dude, think he had like, any no, idea? No reaction to it at all. Like I would have been freaking out. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, did he know? I mean, I'm sure someone on the set must have yelled something or something. But like, dude, you're on fire. You need to like roll over or something. Yeah, you just I, walk I, in like normal. Yeah, I, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever heard him really say much about it, other than, you know, they they like they liked how it looked, so they kept it in the movie. Let's think about it for one second, though. If they're going at you know, let's say half speed, this the shot lasts how long on film? Four seconds, maybe five seconds. So that means that's ten seconds that he's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to put that note in here. So yet again, we underline just how crazy the things he is doing from movie to movie are. Um, for sure. Um, and then uh, he would continue to incorporate different, I guess, physical traits. Um, 
in the next movie. Well, big time in the next movie, which is uh, Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. Um, and this is also where Shiro Honda is like starting to kind of mentally be like, okay, what are we doing with stuff like the monsters, <laughs> you know, doing a lot monster of... Monster talk. <laughs> yeah, monster talk and really kind of giving them human characteristics, but um, I don't have much to say about this one other than, uh, you know, again, you, you will see how he kind of evolves Godzilla with each movie, and we, we really see it over the next few Godzilla movies. Um, but, I mean, unless you guys have anything to say about about this one, I'm ready to go on to one of my favorites, Frankenstein Conquers uh, the World. I have one thing to note, one thing that's actually really, really important. Yes, sir. Uh, it wasn't revealed until uh, Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, that Godzilla was played by a man in a suit. Ooh, I did not know that. That is correct, yeah. So he was doing all of this, though his name was in the credits, he was doing all of this uncredited. Think about that for a second. Getting paid well enough and putting your life on the line on a daily basis. Again, enduring all the all of this complete ridiculousness we've we've gone through to describe. Uncredited. Well, you, you say he was getting paid well enough, but there's a story about him like th- there was one flub or something on one of the sets, and I don't remember what film this was from, but he said that basically his salary was half of what it cost to redo one of the particular buildings he had like destroyed by accident or something. Yeah, he said that he got paid for for what he was doing. He said the pay was good, uh, and I think uh, there's a quote from Nick Adams I'll go into when we get to Monster Zero um, that uh, is also related to that. But I think for okay. I think he was getting paid better than stuntmen were getting paid in general. But I think the pay was still not good. It was still like working a job. It wasn't like, oh, I'm a movie star. Like, no, you're yeah. a guy who's going to work and getting paid for for work, not for almost killing yourself on a daily basis. <laughs> right. Um, oh, I got an interesting quote from. Uh, yeah, I have a good quote for that too. Go ahead. Sorry. Go oh, well, I'm I'm ready to talk about Baragon. Yeah, let's talk about Baragon. <laughs> I won't call him Bar again like I did last time. Yeah. So Frankenstein Conquers <laughs> the World is a personal favorite of mine. Um, and Nakajima played, uh, this is where I, another one of my favorite roles of his, because again, the physicality that he brings to Baragon is something that, uh, is exceptional. And like King Kong versus Godzilla, his fight with Frankenstein, you know, he, he's fighting what's more or less a giant human. So, uh, it's very physical, um, very fast paced. Uh, but as Baragon, you know, Baragon's a burrowing monster, so Baragon is buried under dirt. So they would literally bury Nakajima alive in this super heavy, super hot Baragon suit, <laughs> and he would have to claw his way out of the dirt. And um, I know that he, that's something that he's he's talked about as being, uh, you know, one of the more challenging things that he's done. And again, just to reiterate what we've been saying a hundred times and what Chris just put so nicely is think about that. Think about being buried alive in a rubber monster suit and having to claw your way out of uh, basically a pit of dirt. Uh, can you imagine, like, going to work t- that day, and that that's your work day, you know? 
that's why I want to know what the dinner table conversation is afterwards. <laughs> like, honey, how was your day? Like, I just I, I want to be the fly on the wall for those situations because I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that conversation because this is unheard of as you look at movies, how they're made today, because the risk isn't there for the most part. There are stuntmen, but what what Nakajima went through is uh, he may be the only person to ever go through that hell for that long, that regularly, and just go, okay, this is perfect, this is fine, I will get into the monster suit that I almost die in, <laughs> yeah. buried alive, and need to claw myself out, and then just keep on going, and then fight with the giant Frankenstein. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Right. This is Tuesday. It's also worth note, uh, I, I, worth mentioning that when Baragon does that leap, where he leaps at the Frankenstein monster, like just leaps through the air, basically, all, pre- pretty much from one side of the set to the other, he's in there, and he's being God. flung God. through God. the air <laughs> in this this Baragon outfit, this Baragon uh. costume, and it's <laughs> it's it, it, when we say that. And obviously, we have respect for any of these suit, those actors that are in these suits. But when we say that they typically didn't do things like that, I mean, they really didn't. <laughs> and yeah. and you know, you can see why Subaraya was like really considered like, you know, Nakajima like his go-to guy. Um, so. I mean, I just want to point out that's another favorite of mine. And, uh, again, just maybe next time you watch these movies, just watch them with a a special eye to what what Nakajima is doing um, and what he's going through. So uh, I know... I'm not sure how much there is to talk about this one, but I know it's a personal favorite of all of ours. Um, And I'll say, because I know that um, you guys had stuff to say about this one, I'll say that this one is, again, further development of what he's bringing to Godzilla physically. This is where you see him start to do those arm gestures, and, you know, when he's in the suit, he kind of, you know does like these crouching motions and just those things that give Godzilla a very um, unique personality. Uh, But the movie I'm referencing is uh, Monster Zero. And um, I've pretty much said my piece on Monster Zero that's relevant to this podcast. And I know uh, one of you said you had a quote you wanted to share. So, I mean, you guys run with it. Anything about Monster Zero that you want to talk about? Now, Matt, which one of us wants to say the quote? You can go for it, buddy. Are you sure about that? All right. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, he said that Mr. Adams, as in Nick Adams, called me Japan's finest. Uh, he once told me that I could have retired and lived a very comfortable life after working on five or six Godzilla films if they'd been produced in the United States. Yeah, I mean, he could have. <laughs> so Nick Adams, obviously, being the the American star that they brought over for the production uh, Monster Zero, talking about how much money that Nakajima could have made if this would have been a American, you know, if, if this would have been American uh, monster film. But uh, the thing that Nakajima says uh, in one of his 95 interviews is that he actually did enjoy doing the Shea, which is the, the dance move that he does, mm-hmm. the, which is a, a very famous pop culture thing in, in Japan. And right. For, if you're from, gonna, from what I understand, was it, was it a singer or a comedian that had come up with this dance yeah, move? I don't, I don't know, but everybody was doing it, and they added in, and I know that depending on, you know, I don't remember if it was Subarai or Honda that, I think it was Honda that basically hated uh, it. Honda Subarai hated it. 
Yeah, I, I know that. Super Riot was like all for it, Any, basically, anything, right? Anything that was kind of like lighter and more playful and something that, you know, the Honda kids might like. That's, yeah, that's, that's right. Honda was like, nah, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's kind of why he distanced himself for a little bit from Godzilla movies. But, you know, I mean, yeah, he came up with, well, I, I actually think it was Yoshio Tsuchiya, the actor who played the, um, the ex-alien... The- the controller. Leader. Yeah, um, yeah. It was his idea for Nakajima to do the Shea movement. And he and Nakajima loved it, Tsuburaya loved it, and thought it would be fun, and Honda hated it. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> well, uh, I, well not, yeah, Nakajima liked the idea. Um, I do, you know, talking to, um... So we, we did a uh, an interview with uh, Sonny Chiba, spoiler alert, and that'll be coming out at some point. But the reason I bring that up is because we were talking about the pay of, of stunt actors. And he basically, in his answer to me, he basically says, do you know, and he, I asked him about, you know, stunt actors. And he said, um, do you know what the difference is between stunt actors, American stunt actors and uh, Japanese stunt actors? He said, stunt actors in Japan are cheap. And what he meant by that. Is he went on to say that basically in America you can make a ton of money doing the same exact thing in Japan. In Japan you don't make money. So depending on if you're in Japan or America, he would give a different answer. And so the thing is, like the, for for Nakajima, you know, there there is money to be made. But if he were doing the same thing in America at the same time, as Nick Adams pointed out, he could have made a lot more money. That's basically the same kind of answer that Sonny Chiba gave. Um, which is why I wanted to bring that up later on. And I want to talk about um, the next movie, actually, which is... We'll, we'll talk about Ultraman, I'm sure, too. But uh, Godzilla versus uh, the Sea Monster. There's actually a really cool uh, quote. Um, one of the things that Nakajima wanted to do was he, he actually liked... Uh, you know that scene where Godzilla's sitting down, but he kind of like scratches his nose? Mm-hmm. Um, when he, that's actually a callback to um, this movie series called Young Guy. And it's... Uh, it's Yuzo uh, Kayama, basically. This whole there's like 16 of these movies, but the whole reason Nakajima does that scene is because that is a callback to those particular movies. And I didn't know that until before this podcast. I don't know if anybody well, ever heard fun, that before. Fun fact about Yuzo Kayama: um, one of his young guy movies was a double feature with Monster Zero. And uh, Kayama, I mentioned on the music episode, uh, was also a surf guitarist and a singer. So. Yeah, I do remember that actually. That that was some of the yeah. I, I one of the I love Monster Zero's opening with like that crazy like dance off where they're trying to win the 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 that's the, the money versus the, the sea monster, bro. Yeah, you said Monster Zero. Saying. Oh yeah, sorry, sea monster. <laughs> Look, bird, we're grieving and it's late. That's true. We're grieving it's late, and I've had one beer, so <laughs> I'm at my limit. <laughs> Uh, just a quick um, sidebar. Uh, it was a popular manga character. Uh, from the manga Oso Matsukun, uh, who the main character would jump up and down do that that Shay dance. So that's that's where that uh, comes okay. from. But it had infiltrated like all of pop culture <laughs> at this time, and you know you can see characters from all kinds of different shows and behind the scenes photos of actors and stuff doing doing this this dancing uh, this this dance that he does on Planet X. Um, uh, so. This wasn't, like, the planned format. This is just kind of how it's going. I think it's going well. We're just kind of glo- going through and, and talking about the really relevant roles that he had. Um, but I think uh, it's going horribly. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, but before Sea Monster, um, Matt jumped ahead a little bit, which is fine. I did. I, I mean, I I d- I'm not sure what else there is to say about Sea Monster other than 
he was in the water a lot, and as we said already, that was dangerous and stressful. Um, but in 1966, he played uh, the monster Gomez on the first episode of Ultra Q. Uh, so that's actually him wearing the 64 Godzilla suit again. The only reason I really bring that up is because it's going to tie into a, something I want to spend a little bit of time on later. Um, but that's his getting his foot in the door uh, with Subaraya Productions. Um, and he would play quite a bit of monsters uh, on Ultraman. He would also do uh, U-Tom on Ultra 7. Um, but... Before we get to uh, the TV stuff, I need to gush for a moment about um, what Nakajima always said was after Godzilla, his favorite monster to play, and that is Gyra, the green gargantua, on War of the Gargantuas, which, jeez, <laughs> um, uh, the, the, the fights in this movie are so intense, so brutal, so physical to a level that I haven't seen in a kaiju uh, movie since then. And any of the kaiju movies before that don't hold a candle to this one. Um, this is the, the battle that Quentin Tarantino loved so much that he used it for a blueprint for the Uma Thurman, Daryl Hannah fight in Kill Bill, uh, where you or of the blonde gargantuan. Yes, as he <laughs> as he called it. Uh, but he made them watch this movie and told them, you know, I want you guys to fight like this, which is why they're throwing each other through walls and stuff. But uh, the 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 battle at the end of this movie is just insane, uh, and you have these two giant. Gargantuas, who are supposed to be Frankenstein monsters, but they're really just big ape people. Um, and they just throw each other through this miniature set. Just, I mean, they're thro- they're picking each other up and throwing each other through buildings and body slamming each other into into these you know miniature buildings that just break. At one point, one of uh, he lifts a, a giant, gigantic miniature of. I mean, I say miniature, but it's like the size of another person. This big ship and just slams it into the the other gargantua and just like the the way these two fight, I have not seen in a, a, a monster movie before or since. And it's every time I watch that movie, it's mind blowing what what these guys are doing to each other. And it's it's like you take the fight from King Kong versus Godzilla and and amp it up to eleven. And you have the War of the Gargantuas. And, I mean, in addition to that, though, I mean, uh, he had the benefit of using um, his eyes to act in this one. You know, you see um, yeah. Gyra's eyes under the uh, under the suit, which uh, is something that you really didn't see in, in, in kaiju movies. And that allowed him to um, kind of, I guess might sound kind of silly because we're talking about giant monster movies, but it kind of uh, allowed him to emote more. And uh, him and um, the actor who played Sanda, the brown gargantua, Yu Sakita, um, it really brings a really unique flavor to those monsters. And, uh, I mean, it's just incredible. And I, I can totally see why this was after Godzilla, his, his favorite monster, because he always said, A, it was fun to play an evil monster. Uh, you know, not good or in, in the middle or anti-hero. Gyra is just plain mean. You know, he goes out of his <laughs> way dick. to be an asshole. 
And, uh, and I mean, it's, it's, it's that performance that I think is part of why this movie, maybe outside of the Godzilla series might be one of the Toho monster movies that resonates, uh, not only more in pop culture, but has influenced other, uh, filmmakers and is just a favorite across the board. And, uh, I mean, the, the way the, the, the gargantuas are, are brought to life and, you know, what, what these suit actors do is incredible in this movie. And, uh, I mean, it's just for that reason alone, it's one of my all-time favorites. There's other things also, but, I mean, geez, for, for heaven's sake, they, this is where, I mean, he's just really not half-assing anything and really just throwing himself, quite literally, into the role of the green gargantua. Um, is there a- anything you guys <laughs> want to add to the to War of the Gargantuas? I mean, I, like I said, I'm going to gush for this one because, in my opinion, this this battle scene is is incredible, and it's something that I could watch a million times and never get get tired of. I mean, you kind of you covered all the stuff. It's one of his uh, greatest performances, honestly, and you can tell that he's having such a good time doing it. Um, one of the things you touched on was the fact that you can see his eyes. And there's a couple shots in, in the movie where, like, the camera zooms in up close um, on his face. And, you can, like, it, it's genuinely creepy, and it works so well in that movie. Plus, the miniatures, because they're, the monsters are a little smaller than normal, the miniature sets are, gl- I mean, are, are honestly, they're glorious. Like, they're, they're really well done. Um, it's a fantastic film, and... Like his, it, it's it's no wonder that he had such a great time making this film, and he's he's really giving it his all. And like he he talks about this film, like in every interview that I've ever seen, when when a question comes up about one of his favorite performances, he always brings this movie up. Like every single time that question comes up, this is the movie that he brings up, and he's asked it so often. Um, so it's it's no wonder. Yeah, I don't really have anything else to add besides that. I'm not sure about Chris, yeah. but oh, I got plenty. Uh, uh, so he, uh, not really. Um, so he, he, I know he based the choreography on, um, professional wrestlers. Part of what enabled them to do so much physically was if you look at the, the design of the suits versus everything before that, there's no tails. So there, you're not dragging a car tire behind you as we've heard described in how many other interviews of it's like dragging a car tire behind you is having a tail on a monster suit so there's no tail if you look at the design of the suit the legs are very narrow so they have a lot of freedom of motion so are the arms on top of that they can actually kind of turn their heads which sounds really stupid for me to be saying like oh the actor can turn his head but given that what was it uh michael keaton couldn't turn his head as batman you think these guys playing giant monsters couldn't turn their heads most of the time this, I think, enabled him to actually be able to do significantly more than in just about every one of his other roles as far as a physical fight. It enabled him to be more conscious of his surroundings. If he could actually see things with his own eyes rather than being inside of the neck of uh, Godzilla, he was able to take uh, a more prominent role as uh, as a choreographer, as a performer. And I think it's, you know, no wonder it's one of his favorites. Yeah, Kitagawa made a big deal about the like the first time he could turn his head in uh, the the Kyu Godzilla suit. Like that was one of the things that that made it click for him. He said that was one of his most proud like most proud moments is being able to actually turn his head for the first time 
Um, so absolutely, like that makes a huge deal because you can actually have a a field of vision versus only being able to see what's in front of you. So that's going to allow you to do a whole lot more. Also, one of my favorite scenes is like when um, when he's at the airport and um, like he appears at the first time at the airport and he's like running across that like open, basically just the open airport. Like that that's a great sequence. I love that entire entire sequence. I was just watching that before we started this. Uh, <laughs> there was a TKU TV marathon that was playing War of the Gargantuas ahead on the background, and I I tuned in at the right time to catch the airport sequence. And it's just like you can appreciate the real size of the sets. Uh, in this movie, partly because the, the the monsters are scaled down slightly, so you're able to really take in just how much, just how big the uh, each one of these sets are. Like, okay, this is an airport, but what's around this airport? How how much space is this taking up before you run into that dead end where he jumps into the big pool? And that that practicality, that that you know, the behind the scenes images of um, of the two gargantuas without their masks on, standing in the water. This is a, a good movie to really take in the scope of the work of these technicians and a good movie to take in the scope of the work of the performers because they're really able to do so much more you know i can i can nitpick all of the different things about it that i think aren't perfect but as far as nakajima's performance you know how how, is there any other point where he was able he was given this much to be able to do i don't i can't think of any yeah i don't know i don't I, I, one thing uh, other uh, I'll mention too is uh, Norman England's um, documentary bringing Godzilla down to size. They talk about Inoue's uh, set and they talk about how they made those trees and they you, you know they cut down pieces of actual like you know like a shrub or a tree or whatever. They actually plant those down and like they're actual like pieces of, of either wood or like a shrub or a bush or whatever. And so when the gargantuas are fighting or they're ripping out the the trees or like weather is hitting or whatever it is, those are actual trees being ripped out and it, and it gives that feeling of everything being real. So for this movie when that happens, like everything is just kind of clicking. And so when you have like the masterful performance of Nakajima, like it just it's kind of everything coming together. So like for me, this is one of those movies where everything really works very well. I know we're kind of gushing about it, but like it's one of his favorite performances, and you can really easily see why. He's he's having a lot of fun. He talks about it often, and I feel like there's a reason. Like everything comes together: the special effects, the art design, like all of it works just so well. And and I mean, I don't know. Like it's it's one of those films too that like for me, I saw it so often coming like, growing up as a kid on like TNT or Monster Vision or whatever. Um, how could you not love it? Plus, it has Russ Tamlin. Like. <laughs> guy's awesome even though he's kind of phoning it in on his uh, lines when he's doing the redubs or whatever um yeah no i this is one i really hope people go and watch again with a special eye to to uh the the fights and the choreography and what what nakajima's bringing um just one quick one last thing I just want to say is just the the key word I can say about all this movie is he was given freedom as a performer. The trees Matt mentioned, they didn't know what trees were going to be ripped up. So they had dozens and dozens of trees that were all planted with roots. So the actors were given a freedom that they weren't otherwise given physically because of the costumes and because of the sets. So you think no wonder he enjoyed himself. He was able to be an actor again. Yeah. Um, and then that same year, 1966, Ultraman blew up on TV, and uh, Nakajima played several monsters, um, including uh, Nironga, Gabora, Jiras, again, where he gets to wear uh, a Godzilla suit, only this time with a goofy frill on it, and Kila, 
Um, and uh, on IMDb, it says he was rumored to play the Kimur alien. I, I, I don't know why that's rumored, but whatever. Uh, actually, a segue um, from uh, for uh, for War of the Gargantuas is. Uh, um, Kila, the uh, if if you know Ultraman, it's kind of a big bug-looking kind of thing. Um, anyway, uh, there was a, uh, a television show called He of the Sun, um, which ran in 1967, which uh, I think was some kind of um, I'm not sure what kind of show it is. I've seen it referred to as a drama, and I've also seen it referred to as kind of like a kind of a talk show kind of thing. So I'm not exactly sure what kind of show it is. So there's not much in English about it. But um, for this, um, Nakajima put the, the green gargantua suit on and uh, fought uh, Kila, the Ultraman monster that he, he played, um, in a, like a miniature kind of mountain set. Um, and... Uh, uh, there's stills of this, I guess, screen grabs um, from what looks like, you know, grainy VHS footage all over the internet if you Google it. Um, however, I haven't actually seen the uh, the the show. I don't know where I would be able to see it, um, but it's footage I'd love to see. You know, him fighting Kila in the the gar- green gargantua suit. There's also some images of the green gargantua in a boxing ring. Uh, fighting a boxer, I'm not exactly sure what that's all about. Um, but no, it, it's it's fun stuff. There's uh, there's a few pictures online if you Google it, um, and there's pictures of Nakajima putting the suit on and talking to the camera. So uh, again, I'm not sh- and you know walking around. So I'm not sure what kind of show it was, but that footage is out there somewhere because those uh, screen grabs didn't just make themselves. So uh, whoever has that, stop being an asshole and upload it <laughs> which i mean hopefully one of maybe one of our listeners will will find it i know uh one of them just found that uh that early um whisper in the night matango adaptation yeah that and, was pretty yeah sweet. if so yeah i mean if anyone out there knows where to find this please uh i would love to help to, to help us it. out yeah, yeah a um, quick thank you to that kind sir yes uh and uh his name's paul fox shout out to paul um so uh, speaking speaking of Ultraman, uh, I had the privilege of, of being at G-Festa last year, uh, and Ben Furuya, who played Ultraman, was a guest, and uh, a couple weeks later, he was at Fandom Fest, and I'm sure he told the exact same story, and Matt, you were there, um, there. but he, he, uh, he had a lot to say about Mr. Nakajima, um, and, uh, you know, I mean, for those of us who became familiar with Nakajima through interviews or conventions or whatever, in his older years, he always kind of seems like this, uh, you know, fun grandfather kind of kind of type. But uh, Furuya said, you know, when Nakajima's in a monster suit and, you know, the two of you are going at it, he, he does not play. He doesn't pull <laughs> his punches. He, he, he hits hard. And, you know, there was definitely some kind of friendly competition on the, the Ultraman set. Um, because, yeah, he would he would really pound on him, you know? Um, and he was You're like... You're saying you know, is he would really fuck some shit up. Yeah, and he, he even he said... the hell out of him, yeah. He even, he even said to the, the crowd, say. he's like, I, I'm sure you guys think of him as like a sweet old man, but I remember him as, you know, I mean, if I walked into work and I knew I was 
fighting uh, Nakajima in that suit that day. He's like, you know, I knew it was going to be a tough day. Um, <laughs> Matt, I, I, you saw you saw him like two weeks later. Was that a? It, yeah, he. You know what? It was really it was really a sweet like they were very kind and sweet to each other. And I remember um, for you know Ben for for he would call him you know senpai, which is a. Uh, you know, kind of like a very respectful term. He, he's kind of referring to him like almost like a master kind of thing. But um, it, it, they, when they were doing their interviews and stuff, um, he was reiterating the fact that like when they were going against each other, like basically he was beating the shit out of him. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like Nakajim was kicking the cr- Nakajim was kicking the crap the crap out of Ultraman, you know. And he he um, he knew that he had his work cut out for him, just as you said, and. Uh, you know, obviously everybody knows that they reused the Godzilla 1965 suit or 66 suit or whatever, and they actually they cut off the head of the the 65 suit and they they use it for a Jurassic or what they call uh, was it Anzilla or something like that or, or I'm sorry Aquila excuse me uh, what they call it in the English dub um, and then they reattached it later on for uh, for Sea Monster um, or they actually use a different a different head but. Um, yeah, whenever they would fight each other, like, you know, he, he knew he was in for a tough day, but like at Fan and Fest, when they were with each other, they were like, Ben Ferrio is very like sort of protective and kind of almost hovering over him during, we had like a dinner uh, event together and he was just very kind and pouring him drinks and like, just very kind of like, almost like a grandson would be in it or, or like a son, like, Hey, this is, this is my, this is my dad. Or this is my grandpa. And I'm going to take care of him kind of thing. And it was really, it was really sweet to see that they had such a kind of respect for one another. Um, one thing I'll point out too, is like Nakajima has a kind of rivalry with, uh, Satsuma and like, that's kind of interesting dynamic. In fact, I was told that essentially, uh, Nakajima and uh, Satsuma kind of have to be separated on interviews, meaning like they always put the interpreter kind of in between them and they send them on opposite ends or they try to have them in separate uh, interviews because Nakajima kind of gets feisty um, because Satsuma and Nakajima, even though, you know, they're respectful towards one another, like they have kind of this like little rivalry going on between who is the real Godzilla and, you know, Nakajima, he's got that, that very big pride about he's the, he's the true Godzilla. And that's just kind of who he is. And, um, I think that's really, it's, it's a really cool thing to think about this, this guy that we all look up to, um, taking such an ownership of a character like he that that's just who he is and like he took such pride in in his interviews he talks about the amount of pride that he had when he got offered the part and he saw how well he did in fact there's an there's a a quote that he has about the first godzilla when he looked back and he saw like all the kids you know they initially they were bored and they were all chatting during the first godzilla film and then when godzilla appeared on the screen he said that everybody became like really wide-eyed and silent and that's when he knew that he had done his job really well and like that's a that's a cool thing for him so like just seeing them together seeing nakajima and faraya together and seeing how they treat each other with such respect and um I, I don't know for me like it was a really cool thing to see that like humanity and humility and um i don't know i'm not really sure i'm going with this but it, it was a really cool experience for me for sure um yeah no it was it was great to hear hear you know those stories and i really like the camaraderie between all the the suit actors, no matter which generation, you know, whether it's Nakajima and Kitagawa or Nakajima and Satsuma or, you know, those guys with Furuya or Yoshida, any of those guys uh, is always really cool. Um, Well, uh, Nakajima also has the distinction of being uh, the only 
actor to really play both Godzilla and King Kong in 1967 was King Kong Escapes. Um, and uh, part of the reason I like... There's a lot of debate between nerds about which Kong <laughs> is better. <laughs> the Escapes or the 62? Uh, they're both awful suits, but... Um, both I, have the mage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I always say that I do like Escapes more because I like the way Nakajima played King Kong. Uh, that's not to cut down the you know, the 62 portrayal. Um, but I, I felt like, again, Nakajima really did his homework on how a gorilla would move. And I, I, I felt that he was a little, he moved a little bit more gorilla-like than um, the 62. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, knowing the amount of research he does in bringing these rubber suit monsters to life, I would have to imagine that he really, you know, maybe he went back and, and looked at those old Subaraya prints of the O'Brien movies, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I love the movie, but I, I really like the way that he plays Kong. I think that he plays Kong in a, a, a way that's kind of earnest, as silly as that might sound. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I like the '62 suit better, but I, I agree. Like Nakajima has this certain like flair to him, and King Kong Escapes is such a fun movie, and you know the the interesting thing is there's like there's two suits that they made, right? They have the they have one suit that looks okay, and they have another suit that looks incredibly. The best way I can describe it is derpy. Well, there's the water. Uh, no, no, they the, all look the water. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's Fair the water. There's the water suit where that is like a bobblehead. Pretty. Yeah, much. but they use it. They use that on land too when he gets like, you know, bombed by the helicopters and gassed or whatever, um, in a couple shots. But like they have one suit. Nakajima's quote is saying like they they had. One suit that had shorter arms and one for longer arms. The longer arms had like basically sticks that he was grabbing, so he had to like kind of guess where he was um, touching the ground. But yeah, I mean yeah. his performance. Those are the parts movie. where he's walking on all fours. Like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. the shorter arm suit he was using for actually fighting the monster. So when he's fighting Gorosaurus, which is one of my favorite fights ever, by the way. Uh, it's another or when good he's one. Fighting yeah, it's a it's a great fight. Um, very, very, uh, just, I don't know. It, it, it's not quite as physical as like the original Godzilla versus King Kong fight or like the Gargantuas fight, but it's, it's pretty physical. Um, I, I love that fight, but yeah, this is a, this is one of my favorite films for sure. Mm-hmm. Gorosaurus has some sweet moves. Oh yeah. The kangaroo, the kangaroo kick is awesome, man. <laughs> By the way, I've, I've had a little bit too much uh, alcohol in my system. I'm a lightweight. So now I'm, I'm like little bourbon so i'm kind of chatty it's 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 kind of the worst in other words we should try and wrap up <laughs> <laughs> Bro, no keep going i'm just getting started bird god damn it. um well i mean uh, well it, there's not there's a few here that uh you know were i think don't have too much to add uh uh, he played U Tom in one of my favorite episodes of Ultra Seven. Uh, after that, um, well, oh, right before that was Son of Godzilla, where I think it's it's worth mentioning that Godzilla was played by several actors in this, and Nakajima really only did the water uh, scenes. I know they were yeah. looking for taller actors to to, um, I guess, so it would look a little bit better when he's standing next to Minya. Uh, I guess when it came for time for Destroy All Monsters, they said fuck those guys and. <laughs> They got Nakajima back. Um, they realized the suit looked like a pile of shit on top of another pile of shit. And they're like, ah, maybe we should get a shorter guy. Oh, yeah, we have one. <laughs> um, 
Uh, Latitude Zero, he played a few of them, uh, the creatures. Oh, he played Latitude the giant Zero. griffin, um, the, 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 the big rat. Um, Man bat. Yeah, a lot of wild creatures that he, he played in there. Um, and then um, uh, more Godzilla, Godzilla's Revenge. At this point, though, you will notice, and I think, C- like I said, I think Sea Monster is where it started to kind of click. Uh, this is where his Godzilla is. I don't care what anyone says, you can tell the difference between how the different suit actors play the monsters. And at this point... If yeah, you Trev. if you look at a scene of uh, you know Godzilla in any of these movies that we're about to talk about, like you know who's in the suit, you know, and like I said, the arm gestures, the the way that he um, uh, walks, I mean, it's all distinctly Nakajima. Um, but uh, then in 1970, we have Yog, where he was both Gizora and Ganime, the big crab. Um, I I don't quite recall. I think he's talked a little bit about playing Gazora, and I'm not sure if there was much more to it than, you know, it was a really awkward suit to move in. And if you've seen the movie, you, it looks like that thing's going to topple over any second. Exactly, it's awkward to look at. And that's another one where he had a lot of real fire being thrown at him. You know, there's a part where they're throwing the torches at Gazora, and he's getting all burnt up. Um, and then uh, we're winding down here uh, on his credits. Uh, Godzilla vs. Hedera was 1971, um, uh, and uh, was Chris, you're a Hedera aficionado. Was was this one where? Um, oh, this this is the one where he did the Ultraman pose. Yeah, yeah. Godzilla yes. does the Ultraman pose at one point. Um, he's, he's deflecting the the beam from uh, Hedera's eyes. Yeah. Do you know if that was his idea or if it was, you know, if it not. was Nakano or? Um, I mean, you said I'm an aficionado, not me, so I can easily say no, I do not. Okay. Uh, and this is also where Godzilla lies on his back and basically gets shit on <laughs> in a in a in a hole, <laughs> and he's like kind of drowning in sludge. Um, I'm not sure. He made what, the decision my, my, to quit. By it the way, my, my son loves that movie. Loves this movie, and he was talking about how Hedorah was like Hedera Hedorah, as I call him, uh, was was pooping on Godzilla, which was hilarious to me. I mean, that's more well, Matt, or less they say, what he's they say doing. Taste skips a generation. <laughs> that's more or less what he's doing. Uh, I, do do we know what that material was that he was like being drowned in? Or oh oh oh, it was uh, feces. <laughs> So well, actual, then. actual poop. <laughs> but uh, that's another um, scene that I can't imagine being comfortable by any measure. Yeah, because he's in the suit when that happens, and like they're just like throwing mud or something or whatever it is at him, and he's in the suit. And could you imagine if his, you know, because obviously they have holes in the neck of the suit, if that gets clogged and he suddenly can't breathe? Like, how awful would that be? Oh, yeah. Well, it's oh. also worth noticing those, like... Uh, like the eye holes in the neck, like or the, I mean, he's he's he, they've all these. I feel like all these suit actors have said like there's like barely any vision. Oh yeah, you can't see what you, <laughs> you can't see what you're doing. And on top of that, let's just take a note to say that this is not the first time the suit has been used. So the suit probably smells like a giant armpit. Oh, so yeah. he's he's already worn this thing, and now it's getting covered in in whatever sludge 
whatever is pouring out, it's supposed to be pouring out of Hedora. At this, this must be the point of where he started to realize that budgets have declined to the point of where they're not making a new suit, and it's not going to smell any better when they make the next movie. <laughs> um, well, uh, there, I, I do want to mention, um, going to Destroy All Monsters, there is some uh, actual outtake footage um, from the set. The I guess the most famous one is commonly referred to as a deleted scene where Godzilla fights Manda, but that's actually not what it is. It's Nakajima kind of playing around on the set, and he, you know, he picks up the puppet and the Manda puppet that's like wrapped around a building or something, and kind of like wrestles with it a little bit. Uh, but that that footage is out there at this point. Um, yeah, it's on the Godzilla. Is it Godzilla Fantasia? Is that what it's called? No, it's on a, a compilation video that Toho put out in the '90s of. Yeah, I have it. I just can't remember what the yeah, one's called. Yeah, it, it's it's like the Toho Tokusatsu outtakes and uh, and something. It, I don't know. It's uh, something like that. But um, a lot of outtakes and stuff from different war movies and you know different miniatures and there's bloopers and stuff like that. Um, well, speaking of the Godzilla suit being in terrible shape, uh, we should <laughs> oh, talk boy. about the final uh, role for him playing Godzilla is Godzilla vs. Gigon in 1972. And, and this is the movie where you can literally see Godzilla falling apart before your very eyes. Oh, man. Um, yeah. And, geez, the suit is in awful shape. And uh, there's literally chunks like falling off of him. Um, but, uh, he's making it work and he's playing Godzilla the way that, like I said, only Nakajima can, uh, at this point. Um, uh, and, uh, this one, I mean, all, all these movies, uh, he's doing fairly physical work, um, in a way that... Barely? (laughs) Sorry, carrying a, you know, how many pounds suit and sweating yourself to death, getting the crap fired at you, getting set on fire, wrestling with people in other monster suits. It's a little more than fairly physical work. (laughs) Um, and to be honest, I think the only suit that allowed for the same kind of physical activity as far as Godzilla goes is probably Final Wars because everything else since he's just been this big lumbering like walking wall almost and you know but yeah the the you know this is this is the final turn of him as Godzilla and at this point um the the studio system was no longer really in place so people weren't really um like the that's why Toho started getting in all these new actors and they were starting to contract people out um and uh I've seen it said that Nakajima stopped because it was too taxing physically and I've also heard people say that he was simply just cycled out of the contract in their in the 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 studio system um do you guys have a con have you found a concrete reason why Nakajima stopped at this point um, in 90, the 95 interview we've both been referencing, um, he said basically it was he was 43 years old. So part of it was due to age, and part of it was because of the death of Subaraya. Oh, yeah, that, that really that messed up everyone up pretty much. Yeah, he died, yeah. He died 70, so it was, it, was, it was both of those things. That, that's, that's the best answer that I've seen, at least for as far as direct quote. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, in 1973 is his last uh, credit where he 
was in uh, Submersion of Japan, where he had a small little bit part as the prime minister's chauffeur. So, um, I mean, that's that's the acting credits of Nakajima, and uh, apparently he Toho gave him a job at a bowling alley when he was done, and then after that he. Uh, Chris, was it, I guess, was he just a driver? What? From what I understand, and by saying what I understand, the information that I've gathered from very few sources is that he went from being a, uh, from managing a bowling alley, bowling alley on the Toho lot to being a transportation driver for the studio. And as per the interview in 1995, uh, he'd been working for a clothing company. So just like anybody else, he just went from job to job. He stayed on the studio a lot for if this is correct for two different jobs and after that just kept you know doing his thing as a as a human being okay um well i guess uh, uh well uh, yeah and according to imdb speaking of you know him being a driver he does have a transportation credit for rhapsody in august which is a kurosawa film that was uh, also um had ishiro honda's involvement um so who knows if they actually got to all work together and have a little reunion? I don't know. But um, cool piece of trivia, if it's true. I know IMDb, uh, believe it or not, is not always the best source of information. Um, huh. So, I mean, we've really talked about his work at this point. Um, I mean, it, it, we've said it a hundred times. Uh, look at these roles and look at what he went through. Look at what he did physically, the amount of research he put into playing, you know, characters like Godzilla and King Kong and bringing these iconic creatures to life. Um, and, you know, I, I honestly don't think suit actors get their due. You know, I think a lot of people they do, don't. Yeah, do just assume yeah. that they just walk through miniature buildings and, you know, they don't bring anything to it. But it's more than that. Um, and in Nakajima's case... He was pretty much did all of these movies and did crazy stunts while while doing them. And um, I mean, the amount of work that he put into making these movies and playing these monsters, um, you know, I mean, you'd think that he he was doing it just because he liked to do it. And I mean, none of us would do a job like that. And um, so, I mean, that's why he matters. And, uh, you know, the amount of hard work and, and pain that he went through to, to make these movies, I mean, it can't be under, it can't be, it can't be overstated. I think, too, um, I mean, he's, he played a character that is relevant today as, as much as um, he was in the 50s, especially for the anti-nuclear stuff. Like, Godzilla matters for that reason. I mean, anti-war, anti-nuclear, I mean, those are all things that for me matter now um all the stuff going on in today's politics with north korea and all that crap like um they they matter now they and and they they mattered back in the 50s when he was playing the character and i think they matter for for those reasons as well um those are really really important i mean i have i i like to take a moment too for all of us probably to to share some some personal you know we can make it quick as you said earlier um, and just maybe share some personal stuff like m- meeting with Phantom Fest. I have a, a bunch of stories that I could share, but um, one story I'll share is not even my own. Um, 
Jonathan Cressetti, who um, is just a, a a guy that I know that I that went to I went to Phantom Fest with. Um, he actually made a, a little Godzilla statue with. Right, we're at, we're all at dinner, and he makes this little Godzilla statue, and he's giving them to all the Godzilla suit actors. He actually made one for each Godzilla suit actor, but he gives his to, to Nakajima, and when he gives it to Nakajima, he literally breaks down in tears. And because, you know, this is his hero, right? Um, and Nakajima, like, and Nakajima, who's really, really tired at the end of the night, this is the end of the week, um, you know, says, you know, thanks him for it, but then, like, calls him over. He, he wasn't sitting by him at the end of dinner, so he brings him over and, and, and asks him to sit by him and take a picture with him, and he's, you know, giving me a big hug and thanking him for it. Like, he was really thankful that this fan had done something really nice for him and he wasn't just brushing him off like hey this is just another stupid fan like he really appreciated what this what this kid had done um that's just the kind of guy that he was and so like for me like seeing how appreciative he was of all the all all the fans and and all the things that um you know just being able to meet him you know what was an honor honestly and i got to tell him at uh days of the dead which was like 45 days ago that that he was my hero like that meant the world to me it, it, he probably heard that a hundred times but for me to say it to him was special so like uh, it means the world to me that my son sings godzilla songs now like he hums the godzilla tune all the time in the car um it's it, it really does mean the world to me that and, and to see this man you know pass away and like it it, it just sucks like it really does like I, I have an emptiness now that i just i don't know what to do with it and it, it, it sucks and uh, I, I just kind of at a loss right now. Um, so. All right. Well, Chris, any anything personal you want to share about Nakajima or um, you know stories or anything anything you want to get out there? Not a thing. No, no, just kidding. Um, so uh, <laughs> years ago, when I first went to G Fest, is when we first met in person. Um, yes, it was. I. Uh, I'd been taking Japanese lessons for a couple of years at that point, and my, my tutor at the time helped me. I wrote a letter in English. She helped me translate it into Japanese, which I, I uh, hand-wrote from what she helped me translate and gave it to him at G-Fest. And it was basically just because I knew that when talking to him, there's no way I could possibly communicate from English through someone translating to him what I wanted to say. So I had it put down in this letter. And basically saying, you know, when I was a little kid seeing, you know, uh, Mothra versus Godzilla and for the, being the first one I saw and all the other subsequent films, you know, I, I believe this stuff was real. I was too little to understand what I was seeing, but I believed it was real. And learning about the craft and how much work and, and hardship he'd gone through to make these films, you know, it really affected me growing up as an adult and to take that into consideration and to realize how much his hard work and dedication had paid off for so many of us to think, you know, you you nearly died on a daily basis to play a monster, which everyone can, can write off. It's like, Oh, you're a man in a monster, whatever, you know, 95% of the world population can say who gives a shit, but that's, you know, more than 95%, I guess, but whatever that small percentage of us that, that saw his work and that it resonated with us, even, 50 years after he played this character, you know, for the first time, it, it, it said something to us and it affected us and gave us something, you know, very few actors can, can say that with great confidence. Um, and I, I can't overestimate, you know, 
I can't overstate how much any importance of, of writing something down on a piece of paper is. But to me, it was the only way I could say, like, hey, I can't say this to you right now, but if you can read it, this is the best I can say is thank you. This affected me. And through my life, I, you know, I can think, you know, when I'm dragging some like stupid heavy amp down a flight of stairs where I could nearly fall to my death, think, well, you know, how many years ago this guy had rockets shot at him, almost died from carrying, you know, from exhaustion in this hunt, you know, hundred kilogram suit and just the, the laundry list of things he went through and just think, you know, this guy did it just to make a living, not saying this is what he wanted to do in life. He wanted to be an actor. And yes, he was, but most actors saying, well, you want to be an actor. We'll go put on this hundred kilogram suit and almost die every day. It, it lends a perspective to me in my day to day life that I take with me and the films that I go back to regularly where I can appreciate his performance you know, it, 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 it touches something in a lot of us who see something in monsters and can identify with that in some way and can look at the filmmaking technique and the work and it, it, it touches us in some level. So, you know, not to get into that thing we talked about earlier of, you know, talking about our own experiences in any overstated form. To him, it was probably just another day of, you know, I'm going to a convention and do the best I can to talk to whoever's in line. But to all of us who went and met him, it meant something to us, even mm-hmm. all these years later. And we have to hope that that, you know, it meant something to him to a certain degree. He kept on doing it throughout, uh, you know, the rest of his life. Yeah. Um, well, before I talk about any experience of mine, um, one cool thing that uh, there's video out there on Sci-Fi Japan. When the 2014 Godzilla movie came out, um, Nakajima came out to the United States Fleet Activities Yokosuka, which is a uh, U.S. Navy base in Yokosuka, Japan. And Nakajima Yokosuka. actually... Oh, thank you. Um, Anytime. I will be sure not to pronou- try to pronounce that word again. Um, <laughs> or anything. <laughs> ever. And Nakajima worked on that base in World War II, and he came out... Um, obviously, it's, it's a U.S naval base now but he came out uh for uh, an, a surprise uh advanced screening of the 2014 godzilla movie to watch with um you know the the u.s navy basically and from what i understand the 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 people on the base did not know that he would be there and um so he it was a surprise for him to be there and he came out, he told stories uh, about, you know, when he was on the base in the war and, you know, talked to, to, to the fans on the base and uh, really just, um, you look at the video of it on Sci-Fi Japan, you can tell he, he's, he's having a great time. Um, but yeah, the, the video is great and you can see, um, you know, some of, some of the, one guy walks up to him and says, you know, oh my God, like I never, when I woke up this morning, I ne- I did not think I would be doing this. And, you know, when I was a kid, I used to watch your movies all the time. And he just really loved having those interactions uh, with fans, no matter where they were from, you know. Um, and as far as me, uh, I went to the first real public G-Fest, then called G-Con in 1996, when I was 11, and the two guests were uh, Nakajima and Satsuma, and um, pretty sure it was their first convention experience, maybe even their first time in the United States. I, I think if you listen back to our Jeff Horn interview, you might 
have some answers yeah, to those questions. Yeah, I think um, that's right. But uh, you could tell they really didn't quite know what to expect. You know, hey, we are these monster the guys that play monster in suits, and you know, when they came here, they were treated like rock stars. And I think we, I think they were just as blown away to be there as we were to have them. Uh, and I mean, they were so much fun and had so much energy. And, uh, I mean, my mom took me again, not really knowing what to expect. What's, what's this convention I'm taking my 11 year old to for these Japanese movies? What, like, what could it possibly be like? And she just thought they were so fun and so, um, so, so cool and so energetic. And, um, uh, I have a few pictures with them, but, um, uh, in 2008, which is the G-Fest that Chris talked about a moment ago, uh, where uh, that was the first time I actually hung out with Chris, and he crashed on my hotel room and floor, and it was a great time. The, the only time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's, that is true. But hopefully not the last. Um, but no, uh, we might Speak not continue. Speak for yourself, Bird. Uh, yeah, one thing I want to say is he, he seemed to really have the same energy from, you know, what I remembered from when he, he was there in 96. And, you know, to think barely 10 years, you know, you know, his condition was getting worse with age, which is part of life. But, um, but, uh, one of the things I brought for him to sign was the actual photo, uh, one of the photos, at least, of, of me, him, and Satsuma, and he signed it, and he, he really got a kick out of the fact that, you know, here I am as a, an adult, and I'm giving him a photo to sign of, you know, me and him when, when I was a child, and he really, he, he really thought that was uh, uh, interesting. He, he really seemed to get a kick out of it, and uh, seemed to make him happy, and uh, that photo is one of my most prized possessions. So, that's my little, I guess, story, and I don't have much to add to it other than, I mean, the guy, up until the very end, he, he really loved being with the fans, and uh, I know that um, his appearance at Days of the Dead that Matt was at, uh, we've, we've said, you know, he, he was visibly in, in poorer health, but all the photos I've seen of him, he seems very happy to be interacting with his fans, and, um, you know, I mean, the, the guy was the real deal. You know, he was... Uh, <laughs> He was was a hundred percent real, no bullshit, and just just loved what he did, and loved loved the genre, loved the fans, and um, he didn't care who you were, or who you, where you came from. You know, he he was awesome, and you know, all he he really wanted to do was make people happy with those films, and you know, that's exactly what he did. Um, and uh, do any of you guys have the quote pulled up um, that I know we talked about closing out with? I do, actually. Um, so there's an interview that was done. I, I don't know how recent it was, but it says, uh, In the end, the Godzilla I played remains on film forever. It remains in people's memory, and for that I feel really grateful. And there you go. I mean, that's that's what he wanted out of it to be uh, remembered and for people to keep enjoying it. And uh, something tells me he doesn't have to, that's not something that he ever had to worry about because uh, like I said, he, he was an icon. Godzilla was an icon and uh, you know, the, the monsters he played are always going to be around for us to watch. So, (sighs) 
so there. <laughs> yeah, don't 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 be uh don't be too excited, guys. <laughs> everyone's bumming very, hard, guys. Uh, yeah, everyone's very quiet. I'm assuming it's because everyone's just bumming. About right. Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I childhood hero, man. I just what what do you say? Like he's gone. It's just it sucks. I feel I like I like I said earlier. I feel bad for his family, and I'm gonna I'm gonna watch. Uh, I think I'm gonna watch Godzilla Fifty Four tonight, and uh, it wouldn't shock me if I start crying like a whatever, you know. Like I'm sure I'll be that that Godzilla on the ocean floor. I think is gonna be our ending cue, right? That that's what we decided on. Uh, yeah. I mean, I I think I think at least up until the end, we all held it together pretty pretty well. Um, but yeah, I might have had too much alcohol, so I'm not gonna. Did you drink I like can't... one beer? No, I've been I've been uh, healthily drinking some bourbon, and that was a mistake. So I apologize. I don't know how I sounded tonight. <laughs> You're fine. I've been, I've gone through one beer and about half a bottle of sake in the time. One been on, one so. bourbon and a lot of bourbon. I don't know how much I've had at this one point. One bourbon I and just... a lot of bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> one one beer, a lot of bourbon. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I don't know how I sound tonight. I apologize. My. Uh, it's been a, been a bad day. I miss. Uh, it just sucks, man. It it sucks. That's all I can really say. I will. I, I uh, one thing that was awesome today is my son woke up, and the first, literally, the first thing he said to me was, "I want to listen to the Godzilla song," and he starts humming it. And that's one of the most, as as a as a father, that was probably one of the most uplifting things to me. Is like, once I read the fact that Nakajima passed away. My son, like not obviously knowing any of this stuff, like wants to hear the Godzilla, wants to hear the Godzilla song. Like he wants to hum it, he wants to sing it, he wants to be a part of it. And I think that's one of the coolest things that I've experienced so far as a dad. Um, so I mean, like if anything, that means I'm. I feel like I'm doing it right, you know. Huh? Yeah. Um, well, uh, I'm assuming this. Hopefully this this track we're about to play isn't gonna drive people uh, <laughs> to, just, to the cliff. Yeah, into into the fetal position, but it's only appropriate. Um, so uh, that's that's Haruo Nakajima uh, lived a full healthy life, made a lot of people happy, and uh, even though he's no longer with us, he will continue to make people happy as long as uh, cinema and uh, a way to watch cinema exists. So, again, we we thank him for everything he's done um, over his entire career and what he has done for his fans and uh, condolences to his family. Uh, so, yeah, he, that that's how we're wrapping up, guys. So, any anything else anyone wants to say before we play this depressing Fukube track? <laughs> The song is amazing. It is depressing, but it is amazing. Yeah. I also thanks okay. Chris for uh, joining us today. I, pr- yes, I appreciate too. you being on. You actually did add quite a bit, so entirely my pleasure. I mean, if you feel sad from this, that's okay. You had to cry from it, that's okay. All of us were affected by this guy in one way or another, and when you think about what he went through to play these parts, you think about the enjoyment you get as a little kid, 
and looking back as an as an adult to all of these these movies and doing the deep dives we've done into the information, you grow you get a larger respect for these individual technicians, these actors, musician, whatever. Uh, and Nakajima really put himself on the line more than just about anyone will um, in most film sets for their art. And he did it all uncredited for almost 10 years. So take that with you and think about it. And if it, it gives you some kind of hope, some kind of strength, good. You know, I would hope that he would ta- take some solace from that. Yeah. All right. No, very well said. I, th- I think we all, uh, you know, delivered our points that this is someone who has meant a lot to us since childhood. And it's not always easy uh, when, when those people pass, whether, you know, they're uh, actors or musicians or whatever. It's, it's always a bummer. Um, so uh, I guess that's it. So thank you for uh, listening to us like be all depressed and these guys being drunk and uh yeah <laughs> all right well good night everybody we'll we'll be uh we'll have more upbeat stuff later for, oh, for the love of god i hope okay all right well let's get out of here all right goodbye everybody <laughs> <laughs>